three. Didn't get there. Looked like Jamal Adams may have led the charge from his safety position. Two. The Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. This is the Can't Wait podcast, our Jets pod here at The Athletic. Tim McMaster along with Connor Hughes. And you should subscribe and rate and review us if you can, wherever you're listening to your podcast. You can save 40% off on a subscription to The Athletic or to theathletic.com slash can't wait. This is our overall draft recap. Connor, we checked in on Friday after the first round, and we went all in on Makai Becton and what that meant for this team. So we're not going to focus too much on Becton, but more the rest of the draft. And we also want to hear from everybody out there that's tuning in on YouTube. Get your questions into the chat. Marissa will get them over to us, and we will uh, get in on those as well. Um, Adam Gase spoke today. I want your thoughts on that as well. So let's start there, since that's the the newest thing. Anything big come out of Gase's talk to the media today, or was it the normal stuff? No, normal stuff. I mean, it, it was pretty much coach speak, exactly what you would expect. I mean, we talked to Adam Gase during the draft, right? So after each one of the days, day one, day two, day three, Gase was on that phone call with Joe Douglas. So while we were... Uh, primarily talking to Douglas, obviously he's the one who's pulling the strings on this draft and he's the one who's making these picks. So he's the guy that obviously, you know, kind of his words ring a little bit heavier than, than what Adam Gase's would. Uh, he was there. So we were still able to talk to him about how Denzel Mims is going to fit in. Does he think Denzel Mims is going to have a week one impact? What do you think of Perrine? Like all these other guys that like, we were able to uh, discuss with him a lot of those things. And uh, so this was just kind of like, okay, two days later, let's talk to Adam Gates again. And, and we talked about the virtual offseason program. He said he kind of likes it a little bit because, you know, they basically have like four hours of meetings and he can bounce in and out of those meetings. So he can go from, you know, one to, okay, leaves that one, goes into another. Kinda, it kind of allows him to be, you know, five places at once as opposed to just being in one meeting room and then having to go down a hall to go talk to the other guys. So I think he does like that aspect of it. Um, and then. The other thing that he just kind of talked about was like the basic things as far as uh, – I'm completely losing my train of thought. But uh, he kind of talked about all the basic things in terms of like Sam Darnold. He wants Sam – he thinks Sam Darnold's going to take another step in the right direction this year, obviously. He likes the playmakers that he has within this offense and within this this offensive philosophy, both within adding Perriman, adding Mims. And the one thing he mentioned was getting also Chris Herndon back, which is something that we've talked about a pretty decent amount as well. So – uh, there, there was, uh, not too much news, I think coming out of it, the Jamal Adams thing he briefly touched upon, but he, he didn't really go too, too into detail on that. Again, he stressed what you would think he would. It's voluntary. He doesn't have to be here and there's really nothing the Jets can do to make him be here. So whatever Jamal wants to do, Jamal can do. Um, and other than that, it really wasn't uh, too, too eventful of a, uh, of a conference call. Nothing like the one he had after the, uh, the bills opener last year where, uh, where he went a little bit off the rails. <laughs> It's it's amazing though what a difference a year makes right as far as the relationship between head coach and GM and what you saw this week as opposed to last year. Mm-hmm. I'll give you that, man. I mean, I think that was that was uh, pretty pretty obvious with this whole thing. I mean, obviously, look, Joe Douglas is the guy that Adam Gase wanted as general manager, and and obviously he's the guy that Christopher Johnson wanted as general manager. As Christopher went out and paid uh, an awful lot of money to make that marriage possible as far as bringing Joe Douglas to the Jets because you know Joe was a guy that was in a very interesting position in Philadelphia he had a lot of say within that organization I know he didn't have final say I know he wasn't the general manager but he ran the draft and the draft was his baby so 
when he was there in Philly, it needed to be the perfect situation for him to leave. And, and I think a year before he joined the Jets, the Texans were really interested in Joe Douglas, and the Texans really wanted to go bring Joe Douglas aboard. But the Texans were not going to give him final say as a general manager. So basically would have been a lateral position for him going from Philadelphia Eagles VP to the GM of the Texans. Yeah, technically maybe he would have gotten a little more money, but he it's, it's Bill O'Brien's show. Bill O'Brien has the final say. So he said, I'm staying. I'm staying in, in Philly, and we're going to be happy in Philly. And then when the Jets came around, it was the same thing. He was like, yeah, you know, kind of like it. And, and he was like, but, you know, I'm still kind of happy. And then uh, Christopher Johnson was like, well, what if I write you this check? And he was like, ah, it helps me a little bit, but, you know, I'm still kind of Christopher. I was like, well, what if I write you this check? And eventually it got to the point where you just couldn't turn down. I think he's getting like – Forget that. I know it's a six-year deal. I forget the exact amount of money he's getting each year, but it's absurd money for a general manager where he just could not walk away from that money. But still, I mean, the, the relationship between Joe Douglas and Adam Gase is there. I mean, it's there when it wasn't with Joe Douglas and Mike McCagan. And, and, and it wasn't necessarily that those two guys uh, hated each other. It just they were very different people, McCagan and Gase. I mean, Gase is a guy that wants it done yesterday. There is no dancing around there's no foreplay it's just get it done and like that's what Mike McCagnan was not that uh, Mike McCagnan was the guy that took his time it was waiting I mean they, they had Richard Robinson the corner that they had traded for on the roster for like three extra months from what they should have because McCagnan thought there was a chance they might be able to get a draft pick for him toward like the end of training camp and it was basically the point where like Gay said to go and be like dude the entire team hates Richard Robinson. He's a terrible football player. He's, no one's going to give us Jack, you know what, for him. Just cut him. Get rid of him. And Mike was like, oh, you know what? I still kind of think maybe we can get a, get something. Maybe we can get a conditional seven. And uh, uh, Gase was like, we don't care. Just get rid of the damn guy. And so, like, it was little things like that that just eventually added up. And it wasn't a working relationship. It, it was not a, a conducive – it wasn't a relationship – that was healthy enough to sustain continued success in a franchise. And that's why they went differently. And I think maybe that's also probably why Adam Gase didn't talk to us next to Mike McCagnan at the NFL draft last year, but suddenly now he's on the conference calls here with, uh, with, with Joe Douglas. So uh, this is definitely a healthier relationship. You can tell it's guys that see things eye to eye, but I think more than anything else. And I think that this was probably what was definitively not the case last year is that Adam Gase trusts Joe Douglas. He trusts what Joe Douglas's evaluation says. He trusts the players that Joe Douglas is going to add, and he believes that Joe Douglas is going to build a team that Adam Gase can win with, and I don't know if that was the case last year. So overall, 10 new players for the Jets, if you count Quincy Wilson, the player that they traded the 211th pick for. So now they have a, uh, they're kind of taking all the secondary from the Colts last year. Uh, but overall, 10 new players. So let's go through just kind of best pick, worst pick in your mind, question marks. Um, Becton was kind of the solid pick in number one, but it seems like a consensus, which you don't always get on a draft, that the best pick for the Jets was Denzel Mims. And I would say, Connor, it's not necessarily that they picked him, but the fact that they were able to pick him when they picked him and gain a pick by trading back and still getting him, that was kind of the gem for Douglas in this draft. Yeah, I think I think it was impressive general managing, if that's a verb. I don't know, but it's gonna be one now. I mean, I think now. that's that's yeah, right. I think I think that's what that was, you know, because I I, I tweeted it, man. I mean, like when when the Jets were sitting there at 48 originally. I was like, oh, Mims is the pick. Like, you got the protection. Now you need the playmakers. You need to get Sam Darnold his weapons. And I saw that pick and was like, oh, this is obviously going to be Mims unless maybe they go with another kind of receiver. But it's going to definitely be a receiver. When Douglas traded back 
I was like, what the hell is this guy doing? And I, I, I literally sent out a tweet that said, I don't think Denzel Mims is going to be there in 11 picks. And sure enough, 11 picks from there, guess who's waiting there for the Jets? Denzel Mims. So, so by Douglas being able to move back, I think that it was important for him to get those extra draft picks, which then he flipped for even more draft picks on day four when he, when he dealt with the, uh, the Patriots there and got 120 and 125, I think it was. Um, I think that was smart. I think it was, it was good general managing. But, and, and Mims, I think, is a player that certainly fills a need, right? He's a height, weight, speed guy. He's somebody that both uh, Rex Hogan, the Jets' assistant general manager, and Joe Douglas, the Jets' GM, obviously said they fell in love with at the Senior Bowl. Uh, he was a guy that showed the ability to track the ball deep down the field, separate from defenders with his speed. When you look at him and you watch him play, you don't realize he's playing as fast as he is, is what they said. And, and the quote that Rex Hogan dropped that I thought was really, really impressive is that he has the ability to play above the brim. So basically what that means is that wherever the ball is thrown, Mims can go and get it. And the Jets haven't had a player that can do that except for maybe 2015 with Brandon Marshall. And Brandon Marshall was on the back nine of his career. And then before that, you probably have to go to Braylon Edwards, whom the Jets traded for from the, from the Cleveland Browns. Those are kind of the last two guys the Jets had that had that ability to play above the rim. And, and Gay said with Mims too, he's a guy that, has the ability to keep getting better. That, that the guy that, that, that what they loved most is that he's going to come in and contribute right away. He's going to come in and play right away. It would not surprise me if he's the outside corner opposite Rashad Perryman when week one kicks off. But what Gay said is that the player that they get now is not the player that they're going to have by the end of the year. It's not the player they're going to have next year. And it's not the player they're going to have in three years that he has so much potential that when they can clean up his route running and when they can kind of improve his concentration a little bit to, to shore up his hands, this is a guy that has wide receiver one potential and, and to, to not only get him in the second round, but get him when trading back and recouping some extra draft picks. It's, it's an impressive, uh, it's an impressive thing there for, for uh, Joe Douglas to be able to do. But honestly, I think that the pick for me, that was one of the best or certainly one of the most intriguing uh, I thought the the Jets, they're, they're them getting Bryce Hall when they did uh, in the fifth round, the corner out of Virginia, a guy who some people believe had second and third round potential. I think he was a pretty impressive signing. And then the other one is, is and I'm probably butchering his last name, and when I see him in person, I got to if I ever see him in person because of Corona, uh, I got to ask him how to say is Jabari Zuniga. I can't even say it. The defensive end out of Florida. I'm just going to call him Jabari because <laughs> I know I can pronounce his first name. He's a guy that I am very, very intrigued with. And I know the production at Florida in terms of like, you know, 13, 14, 15 sacks, 30 tackles for loss. I know that that wasn't necessarily there. Uh, I don't think that drafting him was the best pick for the Jets. I think that the value, I mean, with, with this, I kind of go by value. And for that, I go with Bryce Hall. But he's kind of one of the players that, that I'm more, I'm, I'm him along with Ashton Davis, we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, he's somebody that I'm, I'm very intrigued with because of his versatility. I know he's super athletic and, and he was able, you know, the jets like that. They like his speed. They like his strength, all that stuff. They believe that his uh, pass rush disruption rate, which is what Joe Douglas uh, coined. And and apparently that's a statistic that, that is out there, which I obviously that's, you don't see that on ESPN.com. So the pass rush disruption rate for Jabari was was through the roof and somebody that they like, but what he kind of remind me of, and I know NFL.com compared him to Robert Quinn, the pass rusher for the Rams and the Dolphins and and the Cowboys now, but what, uh, what, what the player that I kind of reading about Jabari that he kind of reminded me more of that um, Brandon Graham and, and he's kind of that same size Justin Tuck that kind of same thing where yeah he's a defensive end outside linebacker can rush from the outside but where he will have 
a ton of value and will he will make a ton of, of, of a difference is when you can take him in passing situations and you can slide him inside and you suddenly have a guy that is strong, fast, quick, and agile, and you have him rushing a guard who is not used to dealing with strong, fast, and agile unless he's going up against Aaron Donald every day. So I think Jabari has a chance to be one of the picks that we come back here and say, you know what? I didn't think much of it at the time, but that guy's a difference maker, and it's because of his versatility. When you look at guys, aside from Brandon Graham, who was a first-round pick, Tuck was one of those guys that I think was like second, third, or fourth round. Those are the guys that kind of fall because they don't necessarily have the crazy college production, but you can find places to, to – uh, manufacture pressure with him on a defense. And I think that's what the Jets are going to be able to do here with him. And, and I'll be interested to see how he develops. So I, I think that, that Mims obviously is the guy a ton of people are going to talk about. I think it was great work by Joe Douglas to trade back, get extra picks and still get the guy that they coveted. Uh, but Jabari, I think was somebody that was uh, some, I'm very intrigued watching Bryce Hall is a ton of value. And then Ashton Davis is somebody that I'm very intrigued to see on the football field. Yeah, and Ashton Davis is the next guy I was going to bring up, actually, because when you think about what he can do, obviously the versatility jumps out, and you wrote about the fact that this guy's played all over the field, corner, nickelback, safety, both safeties, linebacker. Um, I guess the question is, does he fit? Was he the right pick at that time for the Jets considering their needs? Yeah. And then the other guy where you think about that and needs and, and taking a guy is James Morgan, the quarterback out of Florida International that they took in the fourth round. Um, do you really want to burn a pick on a backup quarterback at that point in the draft? So those are the two, I guess, question marks we can rank those as just weigh in on those picks. Yeah. So Again, the, the James Morgan pick and the Ashton Davis pick are the two that if I was grading this, I would give it give them probably the lowest grades. With that said, the Ashton Davis as a play, and, and the reason I say is I give Ashton Davis the pick as one of my lowest graded picks. And, and I know grading a draft class right away is one of the dumbest things in the world because you just, you just can't, you have no idea. I have no idea what these guys, look, the general manager has no idea what the hell this guy's going to develop into. I sure as hell don't know, but you can wait three years and then we figure it out. We're always like, oh, look, he was a genius or he's done and he's fired. Um, but I think that, that I wouldn't have gone with a safety at the Ashton Davis pick. I would have gone with another receiver. I would have gone with a cornerback. I would have gone with another offensive lineman. That's how I would have drafted that position because I just think that those needs were so much higher. And I think that the, there were players on available there, at least if you, depending on who you trust with, with draft boards and stuff that those guys would have filled some, some more pressing needs than Ashton Davis, in my personal opinion. With that said, I am wildly fascinated to see how the Jets are going to use this kid on defense. I mean, Greg Williams is known as somebody who's this defensive mastermind. He has the ability to, to uh, manufacture pressure, organized chaos. Like he's going to bring, he's just confusing people. And he flirted and, and dabbled a little bit. Dabbled, by the way, is like one of my new favorite words. I'm just going to try to continue <laughs> to use that. I just, I don't know why. I just love Dabbled in general managing. <laughs> yeah. Gen yeah. That, that, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So uh, he dabbled with some three, <laughs> he dabbled with some three safety. I'm going to say it how many times I can say it. He dabbled with some three safety packages here uh, last year when the Jets had Marcus May, Jamal Adams, and Rontez Miles. Well, Rontez Miles is a high effort, high energy player. Coaches love him, but he's not that good of a defender I mean he can't cover and aside from packing a punch I mean and even then he finds himself out of position sometimes it's probably why he's unsigned right now uh, Ashton Davis brings the Jets that same physicality with ridiculously more athleticism and I I just I mean he's fast he's quick he said I mean versatile I mean that's what the Jets want right this guy has played cornerback he's played nickelback free safety strong safety weak side linebacker was a gunner on special teams and return kicks so I'm just fascinated to see how Greg Williams gets this piece 
and how he uses him on defense with Jamal Adams, with Marcus May. Because when I first saw safety, and I didn't know much about Ashton Davis, when I first saw safety, I was like, uh, is a Jamal Adams trade coming or what's going on here? When I started reading about the guy is when I realized, no, 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 the Jets didn't draft this dude to replace Jamal. The Jets didn't draft this dude to replace Marcus. They drafted him so that he could, so that Greg Williams can get another piece and say, all right, let's, F with some quarterbacks heads and see what we can't do with like these three guys on the field all at the same time. And the James Morgan one, here's the thing. I completely agree. When you have an established quarterback, like Sam Darnold is like the jets believe Sam Darnold is. I completely agree with drafting a quarterback in the third or fourth round and developing him and developing him because uh, what you get in the best case scenario is a solidified good backup quarterback for three years that you can then flip for a first or second round pick when that guy's contract is coming in towards the end. What I don't agree with is the concept of drafting James to be the backup this year. Because look, Joe Douglas is a guy who is no one understands the value of a backup quarterback like Joe Douglas. He won a Super Bowl in 2000 with Trent Dilfer. He won a Super Bowl in 2017 with Nick Foles. Those were backup guys that Trent Dilfer stepped in for, for uh, because of inefficiency. Nick Foles stepped in, not for inefficiency, but because of uh, – uh, an injury to Carson Wentz in his knee. But those two guys then led their teams to a, to a championship, right? Trent Dilfer was a veteran. Nick Foles was a veteran. They were guys with experience. They were guys that had been there, done that a little bit. I just don't trust going into next season when you have a quarterback that does have some durability concerns, which you do have with Sam Darnold. Foot injury as a rookie, thumb injury last year that required surgery. I just don't personally believe in going into next year with David Fales and James Morgan as your lone two backups behind Sam Darnold. Because while James Morgan can develop into a hell of a player, he's not going to be a guy that you are confident in winning games and leading you on a potential playoff run in 2020. You're just not, that's not something that you're going to be confident in. So I would have personally, look, I have no problem drafting James Morgan. If you had spent five, $6 million on a veteran quarterback already, if you had gone out there and signed somebody like Brian Hoyer, right. And you have Brian Hoyer, as your backup behind Sam Darnold, someone who's had some success, done some things well in this league before, and then you draft James, and then you have James for a year as the third string guy before taking over as your backup in 2021. To go into next season with Fails and 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 James as, as your one two guys behind Darnold, I think it's I think you're flirting with with danger, and it's not something that I would have done. So that pick, because there's no veteran already on the roster, is why I question that one. And Ashton, I, I love the player in Ashton Davis. I just personally would have gone with another position at that spot. As far as ranking drafts go, Dane Brugler ranked all 32 teams uh, on the athletic. Check that out. The Jets come in 10th, so top third of the league. So pretty solid first draft for Joe Douglas. And of course, we'll wait and see over the next couple of years if that really plays out to be the truth. All right. I want to get to some of the questions coming in on the chat, Connor. Uh, Max Carter says, taking Hall in the fifth round was a great value pick, as you mentioned. Um, but does that value get affected by the two bad value picks in the fourth round that that we've just talked about does that affect the fact that they got such great value in the fifth or does it all kind of does it still look great to you again man I mean I don't think it was I I don't think it was bad I don't think James Morgan was a bad value pick I don't think Ashton Davis was a bad value pick when they were selected I mean it wasn't like the Jets reached for a guy that was supposed to go in the seventh round and they took him in the fourth I mean they love James Morgan When, when we got on that zoom call with him by the way and you talked to James Morgan for talked to him for like three and a half minutes you can see instantly why the Jets love this kid. I mean, he is 
I've never seen, aside from the Florida Atlantic highlights that I YouTubed right after the pick, I've never seen the guy play football, but you can tell he's all there mentally. I mean, you can tell that the kid is put together. He is good size. Uh, and he's just, you can tell he's the, he, he's what you want in a backup quarterback. I mean, they said like the jets talked to him and they're like, look, we, if we draft you, we've got Sam Darnold. And, and what Morgan said wasn't, well, I'm, my goal is to be the mother effing starting quarterback and Sam, Sam Darnold Schmarnold, I'm coming in for the gig. I'm coming in for it. No, what he said is he told the Jets, he goes, look, whatever you want my job to do, I'm going to do that job better than anyone else. If you want me to start football games, I'm going to start football games. If you want me to prepare Sam Darnold, I'm going to prepare Sam Darnold. That's going to be my job. Couple that with the athleticism and the developmental potential of him. I think he's a good pick in the fourth round. Drafting a quarterback in the fourth round to develop as your long-term backup or somebody that you can then flip for a higher draft pick is a smart battle tactic. Teams have done it a ton. The Patriots did it with Jacoby Brissett. The Patriots did it with Jimmy Garoppolo, although they did draft Garoppolo to replace Tom Brady. And then the ownership stepped in and said, no, we want Tom Brady. I mean, it's, it, look, the point is, is that it's happened before and it's happened successfully before. So I get the pick there. And again, with Ashton Davis, again, a good player that was going to be drafted around this range can certainly have a role on defense and will. My thing is that, The Jets didn't reach for these players. They weren't bad value picks. It's just, would they have been better off going with, you know, uh, in in the third round, Lloyd Cushenberry, the center, the center guard from LSU, would he have been a better pick? Would another offensive lineman would have better pick? Would a a, a second receiver been a better option? I don't know. I'm not a general manager. Joe Douglas is, and and the Jets are paying him all this money and gave him this massive contract to, to make these decisions. So uh, I, I think it's kind of pointless just to rip on someone. You can question them. Look, I question them. I, I, like I said, I would, I'm very intrigued to see Ashton Davis on the field. I personally wouldn't have drafted him just because I would have gone with another position there. We'll see how it all develops going forward. But, no, I, I don't think that the draft in Bryce Hall is, is hurt because they reached on two guys before because I don't think they reached on two guys before. I just probably would have drafted someone else. And with the Morgan pick, I would have drafted him. I have no problem with them drafting him. I just would have signed a veteran in free agency as well. This goes back to something we talked about a little bit on Friday. And basically, Matthew Jacobson wants us to project the starting O-line. One thing has changed since we talked about it on Friday. That is the fourth round when the Jets took Cameron Clark out of Charlotte, another offensive tackle. So it's another player into the mix. Um, but, But just break it down for us, Connor, how you see that starting five lining up once the season starts, hopefully on time later this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, man. Because if it's not, I don't know what the hell I'm gonna do. I'm already going crazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm on like I'm on like 2027 of my road to the show MLB player, right? You know, Connor Hughes, the the third baseman, or Connor Hughes, the third baseman converting to second baseman for the Mets, is tearing it up at like 3:30 right now. I'm going for my <laughs> going for my first MVP as I play this one every single damn day. Um, no, I think I think the line's gonna shape out with uh, Beckton at left tackle, Alex Lewis at left guard. I think that's going to look – Joe Douglas wouldn't say that Becton's going to start week one. Newsflash, Becton's going to start week one. Um, but I think Alex Lewis is a guy that the Jets like a lot. I, I would be surprised if he was not one of the starting guards barring injury. That's something that he's dealt with throughout his career. I think those are your two left tackle, left guard. Uh, center, I think, is going to be Connor McGovern. Obviously, the, Jet, the Jets are paying him. He's the only person that they signed this offseason – uh, with a con- like signing, not drafting, but signing that is guaranteed to be on the roster in 2021. Uh, so he's obviously going to be this team starting center right guards where it's going to be up in the air a little bit. I think Greg Van Roten's probably going to beat out Brian winners. Cause I just don't think Brian winners gives the jets much more than a Mahler and Greg Van Roten's a little bit more versatile. So I think that's going to be the pick. And then you'll have uh, George font over at right tackle. So it'll be Becton left tackle, Lewis left guard McGovern center. 
uh, Greg Van Roten, right guard, and George Font, right tackle. And, you know, when the Jets signed uh, Font and free agency, everyone was losing their damn minds over the three years, $30 million. Look, it's a one-year contract, period. That's what it is. It's a one-year, 9.25, I think it's nine, one-year, $9.25 million contract. That is all that deal is, right? And everyone's like, oh, how is he going to start at left tackle? No, like this was the plan all along. I talked to somebody that was very heavily involved in scouting and eventually signing George Font, right? And what he said is that this is a guy that has a ton of talent. What hurt him in Seattle is that he was a developmental project that was never allowed to develop because as soon as he was put in there as their starting offensive tackle, he gets hurt, misses an entire season. When he comes back, his starting job is gone. So now all of a sudden he's playing right tackle. He's playing swing tight end. He's playing swing this. He's playing, he's everywhere. So he never had a chance to say, okay, I am a, this position here. I'm going to play this position. I'm going to put all of my focus into this position and I'm going to develop, right? Never had that, that, that luxury in Seattle because he constantly had to move around. I was told that he is going to take a significant step forward this year because he will finally have one position to work on. I was also told that he is a significantly better right tackle than he is a left tackle. By adding Becton, the Jets now have the luxury of swinging Font out there to right tackle. Now, if they had no one there in free, if there was no one there in the draft, all four tackles had gone, they weren't able to trade for Trent Williams, all this stuff, then yeah, Font is probably going to be your, your left tackle, and then you'll have Chuma Dog at right tackle. Instead, you now have Chuma, Adaga, and Font battling it out there for that right tackle spot. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, that's, that's how I think the offensive line is going to trans, uh, play out. And it's a significant improvement from last year. Well, and you mentioned Winters getting beat out as far as the starting job. But when you think about the roster as a whole, a couple of questions in the chat about does Winters still have a spot on this roster after the addition of Cameron yeah, Clark? Or he, could he be cut? No, I think, yeah, why the hell not? I mean, you need linemen, right? I mean, yeah. look how many linemen did the Jets go through last year. At one point, they had, like, Brent Quale back on the field. Brent Quale, like, literally blew up his leg in training camp. And the Jets kept him on, like, the – they kept him. They're like, yeah, we're, we're going to actually just have a chance we might need you. They sure as hell needed him at the end of the year. And, and then all of a sudden, they, Connor McDermott was playing. And, and who were the other guys? Were like, they were – at points, the Jets were trotting out offensive linemen that shouldn't even have been employed by an NFL team, and they're starting for them. So, no, they, I, I would – I don't think winners is in danger of being cut just because why not keep them, right? I mean, you have the cap space to keep them. You saw what injuries did to this offensive line last year. And while he's probably not going to be super happy to be a backup and you're going to be paying him a pretty decent amount of change to be a backup, who the hell cares? Keep him, man. I mean, look, if something happens to Alex Lewis, who's going to play left guard? You can now, if you keep winners, you can now take Greg Van Roten, slide him over there to left guard, where again, Alex Lewis has had legitimate injury concerns and legitimate durability concerns throughout his career. So now you can take Brian Winters, slide him over, to, or you can take Greg Van Roten, slide him over to left guard, and now Brian Winters is elevated to your right guard spot. So no, I don't think there's there's any danger. Maybe the Jets could try to flip him for a draft pick if he has a good training camp, but uh, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I think that the best bet for the Jets is to keep Winters. Keep every one of these linemen. Keep Clark. I mean, there's some guys that, like, uh, lower level in the draft. I mean, you can go on the Jets roster. Uh, I can try to bring it up as we're speaking, but you can go down on the Jets roster and you can look at the players that they have on the offensive line. There are plenty of guys that can be cut and still keep nine or 10 before you actually get to the point where you're cutting Brian winners. I mean, it's just, there's a lot of guys there. I'm bringing up the, uh, the thing. Now. Well, isn't Let's there see. too, they get an extra spot for a lineman this year with yes. them new. Yeah, so. correct. And like, Again, like, like these are some of the names like that we're like, we're talking about Ben Braden, right? You're talking about Corbin Kafusi. Uh, you're talking about Connor McDermott, James Murray. I mean, there's other guys in this roster where like, yeah, you have your starting five and then you'll probably keep as your backups, Brian Winters, Chuma, Josh Andrews, uh, Jonathan Harrison and Clark. 
Like, there's your backups. That's probably 10 linemen. But, I mean, look, the Jets went through, like, 30 linemen last year. Like, why, why the hell not? Bring them, bring them all in. You're fine. The depth is something this franchise is severely lacking in. So any position yeah. where you can actually have some is, is certainly nice. All right. This question from Taslam Hassan. He wants to know, are the Jets going to be busy after 4 p.m. today on that free agent market? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they'll be very active. Yeah, vet, veteran. I think they'll be active. I think they'll go back and start dabbling in that market again. <laughs> uh, I think they'll uh, I think uh, the guy Logan Ryan, someone to watch. I think they could potentially look to add another receiver. Uh, I think they could look to add a veteran quarterback. I think they could look to add uh, some linemen. Jadavion Clowney's still out there. I don't think he's the perfect Joe Douglas guy. But at this point, I mean, how much money does Jadavion Clowney actually expect to get, right? I mean, so so he could be an option to be out there to add another pass rusher. Marcus Golden, I don't think is too much of an option just because he's a very similar player to Jordan Jenkins. But at the right price, sure, why the hell not? Bring him in. I mean, right now, Terrell Basham is the starting outside linebacker opposite Jordan Jenkins you're probably going to look for someone. So yeah, I would expect for in the, the free agent market for the jets now to get very heavily involved. And again, Joe Douglas implied that he said, we're going to get through free. We're going to get through the draft. We're going to get through undrafted free agency. You've already seen the jets sign some impressive guys. And then we're going to look back into that veteran free agent market and see what we can't do. All right. So now it's, um, you know, these virtual OTAs, the virtual everything. Um, what are you going to be doing here, Connor, to, to keep yourself busy over the next couple of months because you, you can't play video games forever? Uh, challenge accepted, Tim. Let me tell you, <laughs> challenge accepted. Uh, I'm going to be playing I'm going to be playing a ton of MLB The Show. Uh, I got this game called The Golf Club 2K19, so I've been playing that, going to the links, trying to uh, improve my golf game a little bit. Doesn't think, don't think it's working at all, but – I've been playing that. So it's it's going to be a bit of that, man. It's going to be uh, the cool thing that, that this draft did is it gave us uh, – it gave report, us as reporters – it gave us nine new players plus Quincy Wilson as a 10th to look into their backgrounds. And it gave us a chance to look into their stories. And every single person in the world has a story to tell. And these guys certainly are no, no exception to that rule. So – uh, the next couple of days, that's probably what I'm going to be doing is starting to do a deep dive into these guys, see if there's a story there worth telling and, and making a run at that. But I know that I, Ashton Davis actually has a pretty crazy background, which I've, I've already started to make make uh, the steps to move towards writing that story. I think James Morgan has some stories worth told. And then once the Jets sign some of these uh, undrafted free agents officially, uh, we'll be diving into that as well. So uh, it'll be a lot of that. It's going to be a lot of video gaming and it's going to be a, uh, a lot of... Um, it's going to be a lot of that, like starting to look into these players and starting to tell those big feature stories, right? Because there's no more projections. There's no more the Jets can sign 10 this, 10 that, 10 this, 10 that. It's going to be like, all right, now we've got some new stories to tell. Let's go about telling those stories. And, and that's the best part about this job is being able to tell, tell the stories like this about these kids that haven't been told, get you guys a chance to know them aside from the football player. And uh, that, that's what these next couple of weeks will be focused on. Yeah, you can check out all those stories on The Athletic in the next few weeks, and you could save 40% off a subscription to get to those articles. Go to theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast to save. And if you want more coverage on the draft, prospects to pros, another great podcast here in the Athletic Podcast Network. Dane Brugler will be breaking down the entire draft with their final 2020 draft episode coming out today. And then the full shift to 2021, he actually already has a mock draft out on the Athletic today for 2021. So uh, Tank for Trevor is officially <laughs> underway across the NFL. Thanks for tuning in to this edition. Thanks for participating, getting your questions in on the chat. We'll be back with you uh, before too long with more uh, information on the Jets. Follow Connor on Twitter at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. Thanks to Marissa for the great job producing, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>